Good morning, church. Don't worry if you think I'm going to call you out. I'm not because these lights are blinding and I can't see a thing. Okay, there. Maybe I'll be able to at this point. Uh, just so you know, my pretentious name is the Most Holy Reverend Dr. Ann Kendall Bates. But you can call me Annie. How's that? If you came to see a miracle today, you're going to see a miracle because I'm allowed to come off the stage. We'll see if I get feedback anywhere. But don't worry. Everyone's panicking over on this side. I'm not one of those preachers. But right in this spot, right here, March 28th, 1993, I came to faith in Christ. That's 30 years ago. I know, amazing, I'm 29, right? (laughs) 30 years ago, I was a mess. Well, 32 years ago, I was really a mess. You'll hear probably a little bit of my story in the midst of the message this morning, but I was coming off of a couple of close friends passing away unexpectedly, and then my mom died, and that was the straw that broke the camel's back. And so I had started a new school. I changed careers. I started at photography school, and it was at photography school. I met a Christian who had the peace of God all over her. I didn't know it was the peace of God. I just knew there was something different about her and what she had I wanted. As a matter of fact, she came to this church. And so it came to the point where, surprisingly, she didn't ask me to come to church. Hear me. If you're worried about going and preaching and doing all the steps of salvation and invitation and saying all those right things so that someone will come to church with you, don't worry about it. She didn't say anything. She just lived it. And she had the peace of God so all over her. Yes, amen, God. That it came to one point that I said, can I go to church with you sometime? And she said, yes. So I gave her my rules. My rules were, if I drive by and don't come, don't ask me about it. I want to sit near an exit. (laughs) And I want you to tell your parents that my mom died a year and a half ago, and I don't want to talk about it. Those were my rules. I did come in. I sat near an exit, the second row on this side. You notice there's a wall on one side, and then her parents sat on the other side, and her father was this big, burly hunter type. There was no way I was, I was completely trapped. It took me about four weeks, but then on that side is when I came to faith. That is a miracle. I think sometimes we get beyond the the fact that salvation is a miracle, right? It is a miracle because we were once this way headed down this path, which was bad, and then God came into our lives and we started going another way. I don't ever want to go back there. There's nothing back there for me, right? All I have is moving forward. Does that mean that it's going to be nice and easy with little fluffy bunnies hopping around all over the place? No, it's not. But he's promised never to leave us nor forsake us. And so no matter what that trial is that comes, no matter what you're in the midst of right now, he's still with you and he is at work, hard at work. Don't give up on him because he will never give up on you. 
Well, that's pretty good, and that's not even part of my message. Isn't that exciting? <laughs> so I attended this church for 10 years, and then God called me to leave, which I know sounds funny. You would think that you wouldn't leave, but when God calls, you leave. And I went and I helped out a church plant in Weymouth, Massachusetts. I still attend there, although I'm not on staff there anymore, because uh, God has just opened doors for me to go other places and do other things. And one of the things that I get to do, which is a huge honor and a privilege, and that's to cover for pastors that are on vacation or are sick or they just want to have somebody else in. And I'm a chick, so that makes it even more special. <laughs> right? Um, also, one of my claim to fame here is that I am best friends with Pastor Jackie. And uh, so I know Jackie brings greetings, even though she's not here. She's far away. But I'm sure she would say, and you didn't say hi to everyone for me? Well, now I've said hello from Pastor Jackie. So with all my traveling, I, I build up a lot of different sermons. And I thought, as I was praying for this message today, I thought, okay, Lord, you've given me some great sermons. Which one do you want me to use? He said none of those. <laughs> So the word for today is for all of us, and I mean all of us, because I don't know if you know this, but when a preacher gets up to preach, God has worked them through the message first. We have to experience it before we can even pass it on to others. So when I say it's for all of us, it truly is for all of us. And this is the, the phrase that God gave me. And that is that God has not given you, 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 everyone in this room, everyone that can hear my voice, he has not given you a spirit of fear. Someone needs to hear that today. I know I needed to hear it. God has not given you a spirit of fear. Immediately pops into my head that very spiritual movie, The Wizard of Oz. Do you remember the <laughs> Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Do you remember the Wizard of Oz? There was a cowardly lion in that. And the one thing that he didn't have was courage. C -c 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 courage. And so he went to the Wizard of Oz, who ended up, the wizard ended up being a phony. When we need courage, we need to go to the one true God, the almighty God, who is not a phony. And I believe it says somewhere in this book that if we ask, he will give to us. If we seek him, we'll find him. If we knock, the door will be open to us. God has not given us a spirit of fear. So the message this morning is called Take Courage. And we're going to find it in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you have your Bibles, feel free to open them or your device. Um, Feel free to open that as well. 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, then you can always take notes on your phone or otherwise. I'll give you a second to get there. 2 Timothy. While you're turning there, let me just give a little bit of context to where we're at. 1 and 2 Timothy are written by the Apostle Paul. You probably remember Paul. He authored a lot of the New Testament. He also was on three different missionary journeys. He met a lot of people, and he went and 
He was really on fire for the Lord. He had an encounter, an experience with the Lord that forever changed his life. Forever changed him. And as Paul is writing these letters to Timothy, Timothy is his son in the faith, his spiritual son. We know that because he calls him that in these letters. Um, Paul is in prison in Rome. And when he's coming to write 2 Timothy, he knows that his time is short because soon he's going to be executed for his faith. And so he even says to Timothy, hey, I really want you to come. Come to Rome. Come see me before my time is done. But Timothy is preaching and pastoring in Ephesus. Now, he was having a hard time in Ephesus because there were a lot of false teachers around there, a lot of people that weren't preaching the truth. And so Paul was trying to convince him and encourage him and say, stand up to that. That is untrue. You need to stand up to it and be, be a model for them, be an example for them. And so in 2 Timothy, that's the context of where we are. So I'm just going to read 2 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 through 7. It says this in the NIV. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Verse 3, I thank God whom I serve as my forefathers did with a clear conscience As night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling our tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I have been reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am, I am, wow, persuaded. I was dropping a line. That's bad. I am persuaded now lives in you also. Verse 6. For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God did not give give us a spirit of timidity, but a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. If you happen to be reading your scriptures from the King James, that verse 7 would have said, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. Right? He did not give us a spirit of fear. So today's message is take courage. I know that may sound a little odd, but sometimes we have to go and take things. Right? Take possession of things. It's not just going to be put on us Courage is not necessarily just going to jump into us. We have to do something. We have to take action for that. And I believe that in this portion of Scripture, there's four factors that enable us to take courage. Four factors that enable us to take courage. They are identity, legacy, empowerment, and purpose. Identity, legacy, empowerment, and purpose. And for the few minutes that we're together this morning, I just want to unpack those just a little bit. This world talks so much about identity today, right? Identity in so many different factors. I'm not going to go into all those because what I care about is what God says about identity. 
And identity is not about what you do. Like, isn't it funny that when you go up to someone and say, hey, how are you? What do you do? And they always come up with some sort of occupation. I'm a firefighter. uh, I'm a CEO. I'm a baker, whatever. That's not what I want to know. I want to know who you are. Right? Who are you really? It's not by your occupation, but it's by your identity. And we notice that in the very beginning of 2 Timothy here, Paul is really clear on who he is, right? It says that he's an apostle of Christ Jesus, apostle, one that is sent out. He's clear on that, and he's also clear with the fact that it's got nothing to do with who he is, because it says, by the will of God. He knew who he was by the will of God. And sometimes I think we have a hard time trying to figure out who we are in God. Well, let me tell you that that day 30 years ago, right over there, my identity shifted, right? My identity shifted. I was no longer a depressed person who didn't feel worthwhile. I shifted from invisible to visible. I shifted from a child of the devil to a child of God. We have to be sure of who we are in him. We're saved. We're forgiven. We should walk differently. I always find it funny sometimes when someone says, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. But you can't really tell as they look just like all the other people around. We should be different in who we are because of who he is and because of what he's done in our lives. He's touched us. So it's not so much about what we do, but it's about who we are. And I'm, I'm big on looking up words because I don't want to make assumptions that I know what words mean. So I looked up the word identity. You're going to find that all through the message this morning. Identity in the dictionary says, the condition of being a certain person or thing. It also says, the set of characteristics by which a person is definitively recognizable or known. If you are a child of God, can people tell? If you were accused, I read this or heard this a long time ago, if you were accused of being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to prove it? Let that one sink in for a minute. Who we are, our identity in him. The only way that we're going to understand our identity is through reading this book, devouring this book, getting this book inside of us, understanding it. Like Psalm 139, verse 13, I love this. For you created, you God, you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. We are God's handicraft, his workmanship. We are his, that is our identity. It says on verse 16 in that same chapter, 139, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He has given us a reason to live, right? He completely changed my life, and I'm pretty sure he's changed most of of yours, unless you don't know him. Yet. If you don't know him yet, today's your opportunity to get to know him. 
But the first part of taking courage is understanding who you are in him and where your strength comes from, who you are created to be. The second part is legacy. These first couple of ones I'm going through fairly quickly because we really want to spend time on the third and the fourth point. But it's important for us also to deal with legacy. Legacy. Want to know what it is? It's something handed down from an ancestor or a predecessor or from the past. Right? It says right in here, Paul says, hey, you have a legacy, Timothy. Your mom and your grandmother... Lois and Eunice, they were the ones that brought you up. You see, back in the time, biblical times, it would be the mother that would teach the child until they were about seven years old. And it's at that point that the father would take over because there would be going to the temple and learning the Torah and all that stuff. But in Timothy's life, his dad was a Gentile. He didn't grow up knowing all that. His dad didn't have all that stuff, so he didn't take the lead on teaching Timothy about those things. So Timothy's mom and his grandmother taught him the things of God, right? And you may think, well, but that's so Old Testament. But it's really not, right? We have to take this book as one full book, the Old Testament and the New Testament. I grew up in a house that had a mom and a dad, and they were married. It may sound funny that I say that, but these days you never know what people's backgrounds are. So I had both parents in the home and three older brothers. I like to say that when my parents got to me, they said, we've achieved perfection. We don't need to have any more children. My brothers disagree with that, but that's okay. That's their thing. But my parents disagreed on religion, um, really, I guess they didn't really disagree that much. My dad just didn't go to church. It wasn't until later years that I realized that when he was a kid, he did go to a church. I just didn't know that. But my mom raised us Catholic. So every week, we would get dragged to church. <laughs> and dragged, I say, because we didn't want to go. But we went because she made us go. And we would sit often in the front row of church. And then when we would, if anyone here grew up Catholic, you would know this, when you go up for communion, we just never went back into our seat. We just went out the door. But that's the way those days were. But she was faithful to bring us to church every Wednesday and every Sunday. And then she figured that when we got to be confirmed, which is about ninth grade uh, in the Catholic Church, that we should know enough to be able to decide for ourselves what we wanted to do as far as religion went. So all of us stopped going to church. You will never, ever, ever, ever hear me bash the Catholic Church. And the reason why is because they gave me the foundation of God and Jesus. And so when I came into a church that was filled with hope and love and peace and everything else, it was so easy for me to go, oh, we're allowed to have a personal relationship with Jesus? I want that. It was so easy. So I would say that that's part of my legacy, right? It may not exactly line up the same way that we think of legacy, like there's so many people that have come down generation through generation through generation of people knowing the Lord. That's a great legacy too, but I have a legacy too, right? Right? 
But then the goal is, too, with legacy is not to leave it right there with us, but to continue to pass that on. That's why the Bible says, train up a child in the way that they should go. When they're old, they're not going to depart from that. Well, there's one little issue with that, that scripture that I had to wrestle with for a bit. You see, I've never been married. I don't have children. My legacy stops with me. No way. It does not stop with me. Because you know what? We're in a family in this place. The church is a family. And so I can pour into your child or your child or your child or your child and consider them spiritual children because I have tried to help them on the road where they're going. Right? Our legacy must continue. And when I say children, let's not limit it to age. Right? Because you can be a child in the faith and be older than me. You're just younger than me in the Lord. So there's still a legacy that I can pass on to you. Like, let's not stay away from each other. Let's pour into each other. Let's encourage one another. Let's be as iron sharpening iron that we wrestle with things and we help one another. That's part of our legacy. I'm part of the legacy of this church. I got saved here. I got water baptized up in the tank. Is it still there? I'm hoping, I think it's still there, right? Behind here. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit in Alaska on a missions trip from this church. I went to six different missions trips through this church. There is legacy. I'm in the DNA of this church. Maybe not from the very beginning. But when I came in here, we are inter woven together. Don't neglect your legacy. Let me tell you, the enemy will try to do that. He'll try to get the church to split off into factions. We don't need to do that. Someone feels called to go to another church like I did. Does that mean I'm not part of you? No, I'm still part of you. I'm just in a different place. And the things that I learned here, I took there. And the things that I learned there, I take other places. We're all growing together because you know what? When we get to heaven, our mansions might be on different streets. Who knows, right? But I put a pause here between our first two points, identity and legacy, because there's something that we have to be careful of before we get to empowerment and purpose. And that is, watch out, because the enemy will try to come in. Watch out, because the enemy is going to try to come in. You notice how he says, for God did not give us a spirit of fear. What does the enemy use? Fear. Fear, or timidity, lacking self-confidence, fear of the unknown or unfamiliar, or fear of making decisions. We need to be reminded of this, that we need to say, when fear comes in, unless it's fear, awe, holiness of God, if we have fear that's shaky fear, that's not of God. He's not given us a spirit of fear. I'll share with you an illustration. When I was in the fifth grade, I do remember a little of that way back then, but... In the fifth grade, I was terrified of getting up and talking in front of people. Terrified. And we had to do an oral report in school. And so I chose to do it on Saudi Arabia. 
Now, the reason I chose Saudi Arabia is at that point, it was in the 70s, mid to late 70s, and my dad was an architect. And his firm was building a college, a university in Saudi Arabia, King Faisal University. And so my dad had to take a number of trips over to Saudi Arabia. So he would take this little thing, not a phone, but it's called a camera, and it had this stuff inside of it called film. (laughs) And he would take that uh, to Saudi Arabia, and while he was there, he would uh, take some pictures, and then he'd bring the film back and get it developed, and we would see the picture of the the, um, Saudi Arabian man all dressed up in his uh, garb, and the woman and her stuff, and then he even took a picture of McDonald's with the sign being in Arabic. It was cool. So being the creative genius that I am, I took those pictures and slapped them on a piece of poster board and then went to do my presentation in front of my fifth grade class, which I was really nervous about. But I said everything that I needed to say. I was, everything I needed to said? Okay, say. Anyway, I said everything I needed to say, and I was getting ready to go sit down when one of my classmates asked me a question. Here was his question. What is the major export of Saudi Arabia? And I did this. I was a deer in the headlights. I was terrified. Everything that I had studied went out of my head. I didn't know what to do, so I looked over at my teacher like she was a lifeline and did one of these, "Eh," and she goes, oil? And I'm like, oil. Grabbed my stuff and went back to my seat. And as I'm going back to my seat, in my head I said, I am never going to let that happen again. I cannot speak in front of people, so I'm never going to do it. Do you notice what I'm doing today? But that thing carried me, that fear carried me through high school. Like, I skipped school on the days I had to do a presentation. I took a big fat zero because I was terrified of speaking in front of people. High school, college, and afterwards when I was going to find a job. If it had anything to do with speaking, I didn't even think about it because I knew I couldn't speak. That's terrible, isn't it? But God... With this church, I went to a camp, and at that camp, God touched me. He touched me, and I was laid out on the floor, and during that time when I was laid out on the floor, I had a vision. I could feel this heaviness on my wrist, and in the vision, I looked down, and I could see a big, thick shackle, you know, like a prisoner would wear, but it was broken off. And I looked on the shackle. It said, fear. And God said to me, I've broken fear off of you. I'm not afraid of you people. That's a miracle too, right? But the enemy will come in and say, you can't do that, or you can't do that, or it was a mistake, or, you know, they're going to find out about you. He's going to put fear in us so that we will not do what God's called us to do. He has not given us a spirit of fear And let me tell you, when the the enemy comes around and goes, oh, I didn't win that one. They got delivered from fear or whatever. He'll come back. In case you don't know it, he'll come back and try again. Sometimes he sends his friends, the enemy that is. 
because that happened not too long ago again. Because I'm starting to um, start this new coaching business of mine, and I, I've been getting scared, almost paralyzed of it, like, okay, I, I don't know. And I had a dream. And in the dream, I was going onto the, the pond, and there was this big structure, and I thought, American Ninja, here, American Ninja Warrior. Totally want to be one of those. <laughs> yeah, I got a little work to do on that. But I climbed up this structure, and I was getting ready to jump off in the water, but I got afraid. And I couldn't figure out why, but I remembered the dream the next morning. And God, God spoke to me about that dream uh, in the midst of my devotions. And he said, what were you afraid of? And I, I remember looking down in the dream, and the water was very murky because it was like a pond. And I said, well, I don't know what's under the water. Fear of the unknown. And I thought, and if there's something under there, I could get hurt. Afraid of being hurt and afraid of the unknown. That was the cause of why I wasn't moving forward with my business. The enemy tried to come around again. And he will continue to do that to get us off track so we don't do what he's called us to do. So it's important for us to remember that. Take courage and encourage others. You notice that? Take courage. Encourage. That's putting courage in someone. Let's not discourage people by taking courage out of them. Take courage. And that's part of legacy. Let's encourage others. Let's not discourage them. So the third point here, empowerment. These are the, the four ways, remember, that we can take courage. Empowerment, being filled with power. Dictionary, to invest with power, especially legal power or official authority. Right? Paul says to Timothy, God's not given you a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power of love and of self-discipline. He's given us the power. If you have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues, you need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit. People might say, well, do I need to get baptized in the Holy Spirit to go to heaven? You need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to go to Walmart. I'd love to put a copyright on that, but I don't know who said it. Someone else said that, but we need to be filled with the power of his spirit. Things changed for me when I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had a new boldness within me to do things that I've never tried before. We have power of an omnipotent God, an all-powerful God in us. We have power through the name of Jesus. We have power through the blood of Jesus. We have power through the Holy Spirit. We are filled with power. We got to tap into that power. Not to be magical and all that, but to point people to him. It's not me, it's him. He's got the power. You want power in your life? Get to know him. He will do it. Anything that's wrong in your life, anything that's broken, he's got the power to fix it. He can do it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, I'm sure you know the scripture, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. 
power. People will see a difference in you when he is residing in you and working through you. Does it mean that you have to be a minister? No. And actually, some people would probably say, well, you're reading from Timothy, and he's a pastor, so I don't really need to pay attention to that, those two books. Okay, it's part of the Bible. Number one, you need to know it. But number two, these things are not just for pastors. And three, it gives examples of what a good leader should be in these two books. If you ever have a question about any kind of leadership anywhere, in the church or outside, look at these books and see what a good leader is supposed to look like. Or just read about Jesus. Perfect leader. So power, he's filled us with power and love. Remember the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's everything in us. And then he said, oh, and here's a bonus. Love your neighbor as yourself. Loving others, loving God and loving others. That's where we get strong. That's where we get courage. Right? It does sometimes take courage to love people. Sometimes people are really hard to love, but if you'll pray and say, God, help me to love them with your love, it'll be amazing how things will switch and you'll look at them in a new light. Do you want to know what love is? Well, we have, a, we have 1 Corinthians 13. I'm sure you've read that before. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Keeps no record of wrongs. I better check that one when I get home. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. That's the way we should be. We should be radiating love. Not let the enemy divide us, but find out where we can come together in unity. And maybe it just takes, help me to love this person, Lord. Help me to see them like you see them. I just read it on Facebook the other day, something about uh, being a good Christian is not just about loving Jesus, but it's also about loving Judas. Let me let that sink in for a minute. Wait, the betrayer? I have to love that one? Yes, you do. Because Jesus died for him too. The third one there is self-discipline. It may say self-control. It may say a sound mind, depending on what translation you're looking at. Self means that it's about us, that we discipline ourselves, that we control ourselves, and that we have a sound mind. That's something the enemy goes after. Sound of mind? He's working extra hard on that one. But we have something to play in all of this. Sometimes I think, and I can only speak for myself, that I, I stand there waiting for God to do something. Okay, Lord, you're going to do that? And he's just like, could you just get up and go? And I'll do it. But you're going to be involved in it. That there is 
some self-discipline, some self-control. I seem to recall that in the fruit of the Spirit. Hmm, It says self-control in there. That these are ways that we're going to be able to build up our courage. Sometimes self-discipline just means getting off the device and getting into the word. Right? That we need to discipline ourselves. And discipline doesn't mean immediately, oh, I'm going to spend four hours reading the word. No. You can spend five, start with five minutes. Let me tell you something. If you start with that five minutes daily, you're not going to be able to settle for five. You're going to want 10, 15, 20. And then it will be like, why didn't I do this earlier? Right? Take courage and walk in God's power, his love, and his self-discipline. And then the fourth thing that I, I find that we see in this passage is purpose. Purpose. Paul mentions it to Timothy and says, uh, For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. The gift of God. We all have a gift of God in us. But it looks different. Your gift's different than my gift's, different than your gift, different than yours. Because he needs all of us together. And he says, to fan into flame. Doesn't that seem odd? Doesn't it seem like, hmm, maybe Timothy is getting a little cold? It doesn't mean that. I mean, if you were to be on fire 24-7, I think you'd be exhausted. Right? But this goes back to, again, history, the culture of the time where they used to have these burning embers in their stove area. And they would keep those burning hot throughout the day so that when it came time to build a fire, they just needed to fan it into flame. So the embers are hot, but it's just waiting for that time for the Holy Spirit to come in and say, okay, now I want you to go do this or I want you to go do that. Or you're filling up your tank at at the gas station and somebody comes over and they need something. Maybe that's the Holy Spirit saying, okay, Here's your chance to minister. Or maybe the Holy Spirit says, I want you to pick up a gallon of milk. I don't really drink milk. Or if I do, I drink almond milk or oat milk or whatever. Pick up a gallon of regular milk. And then later in the day, he might say, I want you to take that to your neighbor. And when that neighbor opens the door and sees you with the gallon of milk, they start to cry because they just ran out of money and they need milk for their children. God can use us in what seems like little itty-bitty ways, but we just need to be obedient. We just need to hear him. We just need to take courage and realize, wait a minute, that sounds like the Holy Spirit to me. I'm going to step out in faith. He's not up there with a hammer going, (laughs) I can't wait until they step out. Whack! That's not the God I serve. He's not the God of whack-a-mole, right? He's not trying to get you. He just wants you to step out in the way that he's created because he's going, oh, I hope they do that because then wait until I give them the next thing and the next thing. And we think we're going to be a blessing, but we get blessed. This team that's at the Dominican Republic, 
Dominican. Yeah. Just, it didn't sound right. I'm like, okay. The people that are on the missions trip, they think they're going to bless the people, but I can almost guarantee that when they come back, they are the ones that are going to be blessed. God wants to use us. I don't know if you've ever noticed that, like in a stove or in a furnace in your home, there's a little pilot light, right? That's kind of the equivalent of this fanning into flame. That pilot light needs to be lit so that it can be turned on and function, right? But there's sometimes that that pilot light goes out. And it often goes out because the valve is dirty or it's malfunctioning. Or it could be that the gas supply has run low or has run out. Let's not get that way in our spiritual life. When we're too gummed up because of what we're watching or what we're saying or what we're doing, that the Holy Spirit can't say, okay, clean that up. Clean that up so that I can function the way that I need to function. Don't let the gas supply run out on you. Because let me tell you, this scripture is so true, Jeremiah 29, 11. I'm sure it's very familiar. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. That scripture so touched me when I first came to faith because... I, I dealt so much with depression and suicidal ideation. Like, I really thought that if I ended my life, no one would notice. It was part of that feeling invisible. But then when I read this scripture and God says, he wants, I didn't even really pay attention to the prosper you and not to harm you, but plans to give you hope and a future. God had a plan for my life. And God has a plan for your lives, all of you. Take courage and walk in your purpose. God has a purpose and a plan. And my parents, when I was growing up, they loved to do jigsaw puzzles. Absolutely loved it. And they would put out a big jigsaw puzzle on the, the living room table, and they would just work on it for hours, just hours putting all the pieces. It, it made it so easy for me to buy a gift for my dad because I just needed to find the most difficult puzzle in the world, and he would love it, right? One time I got him one that was round, and it was all red. He loved that one. But then he really liked the one that had an image on the front and then an image on the back, but the one on the back was a quarter turn. Whew. Those were too difficult for me. Those stressed me out more than, you know, making me happy. But what I found is when I was working on my doctorate, because it was such a long process, I needed to have some small wins. So I ended up buying some jigsaw puzzles. And I would sit and, you know, I, I didn't pick really hard ones. I would just put the pieces in and then at the end I'd be like, yay, I did it. <laughs> Except for the fact that I have a rug in my living room that is like a puzzle eating rug. Like I'll get to the end, there'll be one piece left and I'll be like, wait, where's the piece? And it would just blend with my carpet. I wouldn't be able to find it. Then I found out if I vacuum, I could find it. But anyway, all that to say, back to the puzzle part, is that if you think about a jigsaw puzzle, all the pieces are different in some way, shape, color, whatever it is. And yet you need every single one of those puzzle pieces in order for the image 
to come out and be perfect. We are all puzzle pieces. And we all need each other. We all need each other. Or the puzzle's not going to be complete. And so whatever it is that you need to get over, get past, release, get rid of, to get where God wants you to be, I encourage you to take courage today and get into that place. Whatever it is. So I'm going to ask the worship team if they would come as we finish out today. And, and I really want you to examine yourselves today. Like, we should always, whenever we come into church, expect that God's going to speak to us. Right? Because God wants to speak to us. He wants us to be the better version of ourselves. He wants us to be the person that he's created us to be. And so I'm going to encourage you today, if you are able, please stand to your feet as we close. I just want to ask you some questions. And then in just a minute, I'm going to invite you to this altar. And I encourage you, anything outside can wait. Anything outside can wait. What if you could have an experience with God this morning that would change your life? And God can change your life even if you've known him for days, weeks, months, years, decades. He can still change your life today. And so what is it that's, that's holding you back? Is it your identity in Christ? Maybe you don't know him as Lord and Savior. Well, today's the day to know him as Lord and Savior. And it's not a hoop to jump through. It's a simple prayer. Because it all leads back to the very beginning of the Bible. Adam and Eve were in the garden and they were given one command not to do. Not to eat the fruit. Fruit's not bad. Not to eat the fruit of this one tree. And yet the enemy came in and made that tree look so nice that they did take and they ate from that. But with that disobedience, the sin, that's what sin is. Sin is disobedience. If God gives us a command and we break that command, that is called sin. And the Bible is very clear that the wages of sin is death. But the Bible is also very clear that God so loved us that he sent his one and only son, Jesus, to pay for our debt so that we might be made in right relationship with God. God is so holy, he can't be around that sin. We need to be made right with him. And so it's a simple prayer of just saying, just crying out to Jesus and confessing that you are a sinner and asking him to forgive you of your sins and asking him to come and live in your life and guide you and direct you. You can say it wherever you are. Or if you want someone to pray with you, you can come to this altar this morning and someone will pray with you. So you may be in that place that you don't know him yet as Lord and Savior. But I also ask the question, and again, these are not questions for you to say out loud. This is just between you and God. But what's holding you back from fulfilling God's purpose in your life? What is the obstacle that's getting in your way? 
What is it that's making you afraid or lacking in courage to take on? What is it that's quenching your fire this morning? And what is the gift that is inside of you? What are you called to do? So really this altar call is gonna be for everyone in this building. If you don't know him, come, get to know him. I'm happy to introduce you to him. If you have fear that is holding you back from doing whatever it is, come and be free from this fear. I know God can do it because he did it for me. And maybe you know what your calling is or you know what your gift is and you're just tired and you just need some extra support or some strength. Come to this altar, find it here. But I encourage you, will you give God at least five minutes this morning before you turn and walk out and just ask him, just between you and him, Lord, is there something you want to speak to me this morning? And don't leave until then. I encourage you not to leave until God dismisses you from this house this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you are an amazing God. You are all-powerful. You are ever-present. You are filled with hope and with life. You are our redeem, our Redeemer, our Savior. You are the strong tower that we can run to when we have need. You are the one that fills us with courage and removes all fear. You are the, our biggest cheerleader. But you always want to see us fulfill the purpose that you have designed for us. And I pray, Lord, that if there is anyone here that doesn't know what that gift is, doesn't know what you've called them to do, Father, I pray that you would give them clarity today, that you would speak to them, that they would know that they know that they know what they're to do and that it's from you oh God and not from anybody else for you created them and you have called them and put purpose in their hearts oh God so Father we pray that you would speak this morning to each one of us oh God we know we may not all be in the exact same place but we are here and you are here and so Father you know exactly what we have need of so, Father, we ask that you would speak to us today, that you would seal this word in our hearts, and that we would take courage, knowing that you are the author of all power and love and of self-discipline, Lord God, that you are the author of our lives, the creator, oh God. So, Father, we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do, and we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus.